Everybody, how y'all doing today? Got a full show for you. A lot of stuff to talk about. President Trump will not shut the fuck up on Twitter. It's getting creepy, dog. It's getting really creepy. There's like a... I don't even know how to describe it in a politically correct way, so I'll, I'll reel in a little bit the path I was going to go down, but he, um, he seems fundamentally incapable of grasping reality and acknowledging it. He accidentally said that Biden won because of like the fake news media and the rigged election and blah, blah, blah the other day. And then he immediately was like, no, 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 I don't, I actually don't think he won. I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't win. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that he didn't win, even though I just said he won. And, um, he won't let his foot off the gas pedal. So, you know, I have to say it kind of gets me to question all of those stories about how like, Oh, behind the scenes, he sort of acknowledges it that he lost and that there's no path to victory. I have to admit that what I'm seeing on Twitter is really making me question that. I think he's probably just as stubborn behind closed doors as he is um, on Twitter. I mean, he literally tweeted, this is five hours ago now, but he tweeted, I won the election. Donald Trump tweeted, I won the election. I mean, what do you even say to that? What do you even say to that? It's just, It's beyond absurd. It's ridiculous. And he's getting Rudy Giuliani to go along with him trying to pretend like the election was a, you know, like a giant con job. But he's lost like all the other Republicans are like, obviously Trump lost. But he's not stopping, man. He's not stopping. He's not shutting the fuck up. It's kind of amazing. Anyway, um, I'm just babbling now. So what do you have to look forward to today on today's show? Well, President Trump, ooh, shit. Sorry, clicked the wrong thing there. President Trump... Um, 
he was analyzed by Fareed Zakaria of CNN, and he basically tries to explain how we've crossed a line we've never crossed previously, and he compares Trump's reaction to losing an election to the Democratic reaction to losing elections. We'll talk about that. I have a lot to say about that. Um, Trump retweeted a video from the actor John Voight, and um, it is honestly one of the creepiest videos I've ever seen. (laughs) The thing that's so creepy about John Voight is he speaks in, like, a very calm tone, and as he's doing that, he says things that, you know, could be written by a psychopath in a straitjacket or could be said by a psychopath in a straitjacket. Bill Maher, we're going to talk about him because he dissected the Democrats and where he thinks they went wrong. And uh, I think his analysis is pretty terrible, pretty terrible. Then uh, later on in the show, we have Mark Levin saying that Joe Biden is a dictator and I love this thing that Marianne Williamson said because it, uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. She, she talks about how a lot of these new age people, like, you know, people who are into like new age philosophy stuff, spirituality and energy and frequencies and stuff like that. Apparently, a lot of those people are now taking a turn to the right because QAnon grabbed their, uh, sparked their interest. So that's really interesting. Anyway, without further ado, let's get started. Here we go. Uh, we're going to go with Fareed Zakaria. President Trump is uh, continuing to deny the legitimacy of the election. In fact, he said on Twitter a few hours ago, I won the election. <laughs> I won the election. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. It's either delusional or... He obviously knows he lost, so it's not delusional. It's like psychopathic. He's the ultimate postmodern president in that he tries to like sort of create his own reality and then drive it home and ignore reality. So anyway, it's, uh, it's really weird to see. It's getting more and more weird, and he's getting more and more detached by the day. Um, but CNN's Fareed Zakaria spoke about what Trump is doing here, and he compared it to how the Democrats reacted when they lost the last election. Let's take a look. The predictions most people make about the outcome of this election are probably right. Donald Trump's refusal to concede to Joe Biden won't change reality. His lawsuits appear to be going nowhere, with one judge describing a Trump campaign legal brief as inadmissible hearsay within hearsay. Republican state legislatures are not going to designate their own slates of electors in defiance of the duly recorded vote totals. So, once all the ranting and suing is over, Biden will almost certainly be inaugurated as the President of the United States on January 20, 2021. But Trump is attacking, defaming, and delegitimizing American elections in a manner unprecedented in the country's history. His obstructionism won't keep him in power but it will deeply wound America's democratic culture. He is whipping his base into a frenzy about a stolen election, and few of them are going to change their minds because of court decisions and recounts. The conspiracy theory of the stolen election of 2020 is here to stay. A reminder, whatever one may say about democratic anger and resistance after 2016, Hillary Clinton conceded to Trump the night of the election and made her formal concession speech the next day. I congratulated Donald Trump and offered to work with him on behalf of our country. 
I hope that he will be a successful president for all Americans. The following day, President Obama invited Trump to the White House, spent an hour and a half talking with him, and promised full cooperation for a successful transition. So, in some ways, I think what Fareed Zakaria is saying there is completely accurate. In fact, I've said it before on this show. There is a line that we're crossing here that we've never crossed previously, where you have the president basically saying, like, no, no, the result is not the result. I disagree. I think that that's incorrect. I think that that's inaccurate. It's rigged. It's fraudulent. It's untrue. I won the election. They didn't win the election. If you count just the legal votes and throw out the illegal votes, it's definitely me, 100%. We've never seen anything like this before. So without a doubt, that does cross a line that we've never crossed previously. And so I think any kind of full equivalence with the Democrats on this would be a false equivalence. It's not, it's not accurate. We're not talking about you know, equal levels of delusion or downplaying or rejecting the outcome. Now, having said that, and again, I agree with a lot of what Fareed Zakaria said here, it is missing quite a bit about the real delegitimizing of the office of the presidency, because I'm sure you could find examples the further back you go, you know, and maybe they're fewer and far between, but I'm sure you can find examples. But just in modern American history, take, for example, the birther movement. And Donald Trump was a giant proponent of the birther movement. The whole idea of that was to act like the Obama presidency is illegitimate and unconstitutional and shouldn't even be allowed because we don't even think he's American. He shouldn't even be in office. That was the whole idea, downplay the legitimacy of the office of the president because the person in it is not even American. So, you know, that's, that was one angle to this conversation, which, you know, came before. Obviously, it's gotten worse and worse as time has gone by. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. Yes, Hillary conceded the day after the election. Um, and even waiting one night was delusional. She should have done it that night. Instead, she waited till the next day. Um, and Obama invited Trump. And, you know, they did the peaceful transition of power. But, yes, Russiagate was an attempt to say, no, the election of Trump was illegitimate. Because what was the Democratic argument? The Democratic argument was, actually, the people who voted for Trump are just irredeemable deplorables, and they're all racist and bigots, and so they're bad people. And so that's one of the reasons why he won. And there's no way we're going to you know, what are we going to do? If you have bad people and they pick the bad guy, it is what it is. Sort of a way to take all of their responsibility for not running good campaigns and just sort of pawn it off to the other side and just talk about how it can't be us, it's just that these people are terrible. But beyond that, yes, the idea was, and this dominated American political culture for years, no, he was actually installed by a hostile foreign power, Vladimir Putin. That's what Russiagate was. They tried to make the argument He's actually a Manchurian candidate, and perhaps he's been working with Russia since the 1980s. So it was a nefarious foreign actor that installed the president, and now the president is in there representing you know, the person he's a puppet to. He's a puppet to the puppet master of Vladimir Putin. So there was a downplaying of the legitimacy of the election. And again, I, I want to be clear, this is orders of magnitude worse because now we have the result, and he's saying, no, the result isn't the result. And that does cross a line we've never crossed previously. But let's not pretend like, you know, we weren't sort of building to this kind of a 
of a place that over the years, I do think we've gotten more and more rigidly and ruthlessly partisan where you have this almost like this emotional protection mode when one side loses, the hardcore partisans try to come up with explanations as to how, oh, no, it can't, it can't be so. It can't be that we just lost, perhaps because we ran a worse campaign. It always has to be some sort of nefarious foreign actor or some evil smoke-filled backroom plot. You know, it's never just as simple as, well, maybe that person ran a better campaign. It, it's never that anymore. And by the way, I expect this trend to continue. I really do. Because usually there's no going backwards. And so now you have a president who's just saying, no, the results aren't the result. And they'll come up with all of these, these honestly crazy conspiracies about how, oh, he really won the election. And if you just count the legal votes and not the illegal votes and all this stuff, expect similar things for every election for the rest of our lifetimes. And I mean on the Democratic and the Republican side. Because the hyperpartisanship is so out of control that, again, people can't just take an L. Yeah, okay, we lost. And let's do, let's do real analysis here. Let's look inwards and see where we went wrong and what we could do to improve and how we could get more votes the next time. There's none of that anymore. None of it. And so Trump is the worst example of this. But, you know, there were things that came before Trump on both the Republican side and the Democratic side that were real hints and clues of like, no, you're going to have the downplaying of the legitimacy of the elections, and it's going to ramp up more and more moving forward. Now, I want to go through just a few more of the things that were said there. Um, So all of the lawsuits have been thrown out. In fact, I highly recommend you guys check out Rising with Crystal and Sager because they've sort of detailed, gone into the specifics of all the lawsuits that the Trump people have brought about the election, and all of them are getting thrown out because they're all ridiculous. By the way, even if you grant them everything when they go to court and say, you know what, we're going to give it to you. The courts are all going to side with you. He still wouldn't win the election. See, that's what I'm trying to explain to you guys. Like, it was one thing when it was Bush versus Gore, and you're talking about 270 electoral votes, and it all comes down to one state with the margin being razor thin. You want to try some funky stuff and maybe try to steal it in that scenario? Might work. Might work. Telling the truth there. But if you talk about four states, Biden's up in four states, and the margins are not even close to as skinny as the margin was in Florida. Well, what do you expect to happen? You're not going fi- to find some sort of widespread voter fraud. And by the way, now they're taking it a step further, and they're making these arguments about, oh, the voting machines themselves were hackable. And beyond that, th- they did have votes flip from Trump to Biden. And look at, oh, the one I saw this morning. And Trump is retweeting this stuff on Twitter. The frickin', the, it was made in Venezuela and Cuba, the voting machines. So just, I, I can decode that for you if you don't speak idiot. The argument is they're made in communist places and they want the communist Joe Biden to win. Duh. Like, seriously, this is what they're getting at. Beyond absurd. Beyond absurd. Guys, there is no way, even if you allow them to get away with the kind of cheating that they're trying to do, Biden still wins. He's up now in Pennsylvania, by the way, one percentage point. That's a lot. The, the, the margin for recounts in most states is 0.5, and that margin keeps growing. So, like, it's not even close in the states where it would have to be close for them to try to pull some tricky stuff, you know, to steal it. What are you going to do? You're going to take Georgia, which is the state uh, Trump is the closest in. He's still down, like, 15,000 votes there, but it's the state he's the closest in. Georgia, Arizona, 
Pennsylvania? You're going to somehow try to steal Nevada, where Biden is up massively? It's not even that close. 306 electoral votes was Trump's margin versus Hillary. And beyond that, Trump lost the popular vote by a few million votes. Biden's going to win it when all said and done by about 4% or 5%. Right now, he's up 5 million votes over Trump. Is all that, you know, fake news or is all that illegals voting or fake votes or dead animals voting? By the way, every time they look into these claims, because the Trump people are making these claims. The Trump war room on Twitter was trying to say, ah, this person voted and they've been dead for over a decade. Got them. And then some, you know, some local news outlet with a budget of 37 cents and a Pop-Tart goes and finds out immediately Actually, no, you're wrong. This person's still alive, and they voted, and we just knocked on their door and talked to them, and they explained what was going on. Every time they come up with one of these absurd things, it's immediately debunked. Immediately debunked. By the way, I've never seen misinformation this bad, except maybe Russiagate. Russiagate was really bad, where every time they would say something, it would just be untrue, but all of mainstream media would run with it. There's a similar thing going on now, where... Even Fox News, like, Fox News is losing the far right because the far right is like, why won't you keep up with every single lie that's being pumped out there by us? And so that's why you see Trump now likes One America News Network more, and he's tweeting about it. They like Newsmax more. They're abandoning Fox because they say, oh, you're not covering the things we want you to cover. Because the things that you want them to cover are beyond made up. And Fox, even though they're a partisan outlet, they do have some bare minimum standards that, like, what, what are they supposed to do? call the election for Biden, or excuse me, call the election for Trump and pretend like it wasn't won by Biden? Is that what, is that what you expect them to do? Because that's insane even for Fox, and they wouldn't go that far. And so we're in this insane world where, like, again, ultimate postmodern presidency, where he's just pretending the truth isn't the truth, and he's trying to create his own reality. And there's so many people who are going right along with it. By the way, there are new numbers that are out. 99% of Democrats say this was a legitimate election, and it's over. Now the number's about 85% of Republicans who are like, no, this was illegitimate. So Trump's nonstop propaganda is actually moving the needle. It is moving the needle among Republicans at the very least, undermining the election. Now, um, I think that was all that I was going to say about this. All the lawsuits have been thrown out. Again, Rising has been doing a great job covering that and giving the specifics. Um, Trump keeps driving up the numbers of Republicans who think the election is illegitimate. Hillary conceded the day after, which was delusional enough, because that night was unnecessary. You should have conceded that night. It was clear you lost. Um, and we made fun of Hillary for that, for waiting then. So you should make fun of this guy even more, because, I mean, we're going on. It's been a while since the election. Now, we've known he's lost for a while, and he's still acting like that didn't happen. Which, honestly, and I'll end on this note, what Trump is doing here... I know that his people and the far right thinks it's like super alpha male stuff. It is the most petty, insecure bitch shit I've ever seen in my life. Just take the L, you whiny little bitch. Just take the L. You lost. Get over it. But he's fundamentally incapable. This is a guy who's never been told no in his entire life. He's a spoiled little brat. You know? And how people can find it macho can find it alpha is beyond me at this point because it is the exact opposite. And he's now like the psycho stalker ex-boyfriend who won't stop showing up to the girlfriend's place, even though she's moved on and she's got a new boyfriend. That's, that's what he's acting like. I mean, he's a genuinely a crazy person and even crazier than perhaps I initially thought. 
and he doesn't care. It's, all, it's more about his ego and his narcissism, and he doesn't care if he takes down the entire country in the process. But thankfully, you know, world leaders have moved on. The, the inner workings of the government are going to continue to churn forward. So um, who knows how far this is going to get him? Will he have to be dragged out of the White House kicking and screaming? Possibly. But um, it's, uh, it ain't pretty. And like I said, we are in uncharted territory here. And if it's not making you uncomfortable, you're not paying close enough attention. Okay. Next. Mm-mm-mm. President Trump retweeted a video from the actor John Voight, and um, this guy's hardcore right-winger, and I'm honestly floored at how increasingly unhinged and insane the far right is getting. This is a great example here. I love the disconnect between the way in which he's speaking, like all slow and thought out and professional sounding. Compare and contrast that with the actual substance of what he's saying. It's mind boggling. My fellow Americans, I stand here with all the feelings I do, disgusted with this lie that Biden has been chosen, as if we all don't know the truth. And when one tries to deceive, we know that one can't get away with it. There will be a price to pay. The ones who are jumping for joy now are jumping toward the horror they will be in for because I know that the promises being made from the left to the American people will never come to be. My friends of all colors, races, and religions, this is now our greatest fight since the Civil War, the battle of righteousness versus Satan. Yes, Satan, because these leftists are evil, corrupt, and they want to tear down this nation. We must not allow this. We must fight this corruption that has taken over and fight for the good that seems lost. Let us give our trust to God and fight now for Trump's victory because we all know this ballot count is corruption like they are. So let us not back down. Let us fight this fight as if it is our last fight on earth. I don't, I'm, I'm floored, I'm floored, I'm floored. The number of people who don't believe the result, it's astounding. Because you need to have bought into misinformation on top of misinformation on top of misinformation to really convince yourself that no, actually, the ele- Trump actually won the election. There are conspiracies now where they show, here's what the map would look like if there wasn't cheating. And one of them has Trump with over 400 electoral votes, has Trump winning California and New York. I don't, like, how do you get through to these people? There's no getting through to these people. There's no getting through to these people. 
they can't fathom that it's possible to not like Trump, even though there's evidence everywhere that giant numbers of people don't like Trump. He says at the beginning, like, oh, yeah, Biden has been chosen. We all know the truth. You all know, what, what does that mean? So you know, he, you know he wasn't chosen? Is that your argument? He definitely wasn't chosen? How do you just casually disregard all of the evidence to the contrary of your worldview? I mean, like Biden, dislike Biden, I don't like Biden at all, but I could read a poll and I could tell that he was up massively from day one. He was up the entire time. And the gap kept growing at very crucial points in the race in Biden's favor. Obviously, not everybody sees the world the way you see it, John Voight. And then he says the promises being made by the left will never come to be. What does that even mean? The left, as I know it, and the left that I'm a part of, is really just internationally interest. And so saying the promises we want will never come to be, they've already come to be in Scandinavia. They have free health care. A lot of developed countries have free college. They have paid vacation time by law. They have higher wages and a living wage. They have, you know, modern infrastructure. What does that even mean? The promises being made from the left will never come to be. You don't even know what we're asking for. And to the extent you ever do hear it and get it, you immediately, you know, shriek and moan and scream and act like, oh, my God! Marxism, communism, dictators, tyranny. People are going to be killed over this. I want people with health care. I want the opposite of people being killed. I want people being saved. I mean, it's just, again, there are hardcore conspiracies on, on the Democratic side, too. Russiagate was all fake, right? But I really am amazed at how they've somehow managed to be even more insane than, like, the Russiagators. He says, this is our greatest fight since the Civil War. It's righteousness versus Satan. So the people who disagree with me are Satan. They're the devil. They're, they're, the, they're just the perfect encapsulation of evil. This is the argument he's making. So not only does John Boy think he's right on this earth, he thinks he's right universally and in a metaphysical sense. And he's battling like dark, literal dark evil forces. I can't, again, how did you somehow manage to be more insane than the Russiagators? How did you make this like an existential religious battle? He says leftists are evil and corrupt and want to tear down this nation. I love the, I love the corrupt part because it's like, do you, do you know nothing about the guy who you support, Trump? Do you not know that he took $73 million from foreign investors as president? Which if any other president did that, you would immediately scream, that's corrupt. If a Democrat did that, you would say it's corrupt, and you would be right. Why is it I can admit the Clinton Foundation is corrupt, but you can't admit that Trump's corrupt when Jared and Ivanka made over $100 million, a lot of that from foreign investors? You got money going from Saudi Arabia to the Trump Hotel, and then Trump gives Saudi Arabia a multi-billion dollar weapons deal as they carry out a genocide in Yemen? This is textbook corrupt stuff, man. Are you kidding me? This is clearly corrupt stuff. But overlook that, oh, somehow it's just the left. The left are evil and corrupt, and they want to tear down this nation. The notion of they want to tear down this nation is something that always got under my skin, because why can't people just acknowledge, hey, even if I disagree with somebody, they op- it's not like they think they're evil. 
right? Like, as if the left is, is meeting in smoke-filled back rooms and going, how do we tear down this nation? No, obviously, what we're doing is trying to make the country a better place. And you might disagree with how to make it better, what would constitute it being better. But obviously, leftists think, let's make the country better. Let's fix it. Let's improve it. Not, wouldn't it be great if we tore down this country? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so stupid on so many levels. He says, fight for the, the good that seems lost. Trust God and fight for Trump's victory. Again, imagine, imagine being so brainwashed and convincing yourself that Trump is like some sort of, some sort of messiah figure in this existential battle that doesn't just encapsulate the earth, but it encapsulates, you know, some sort of higher plane of consciousness. Imagine convincing yourself of that, that this guy who has continued all the wars, this guy who's overseeing an economic implosion and a pandemic, somehow he's like the embodiment of all that is good and just and holy and right. Again, it just, it blows my mind. And so, by the way, we're just getting started because here you have a guy who's a very famous actor calmly giving us his insane worldview. This represents a large number of people in the country, a scary high percentage of people in the country. And it's beyond just not accepting the results of the election. It's also like, you think there's any chance in hell of working with somebody who has this mindset? Obviously, John Boyce's not a politician, so you know it, it, it's a different story in a way. But yeah, there are going to be politicians, and there probably already are politicians, who think in this kind of way. And you have Biden, and you have Schumer, and Pelosi, and the Democrats, and Dick Durbin, and we'll get to that story in a little bit. They're like, yeah, the, what we're, gonna, we're absolutely going to try our best to do bipartisan solutions and work with Republicans. We've we got to come together. You see this as something that you could work with? You see this mindset as somehow something that merits meeting it halfway? Imagine meeting this, this address halfway. Like, I, there's, it's beyond comprehension. It's beyond comprehension. And it really does make you think that perhaps the Democrats are the Washington generals, and they're, like, paid to lose. And, you know, they're all representing the same corporations, all these politicians, and so the Democrats are basically paid to be weak and get steamrolled by the right. Because if you try to meet this halfway... You're out there in crazy land immediately. There's no meeting this halfway. This guy thinks you're the embodiment of Satan. He said it. Based on no evidence whatsoever. Oh, we all know the truth. Biden wasn't picked. How many times do I have to go over this guy? It's not even like it's that close of an election. Biden's up by over 5 million votes when it comes to the popular vote. But even if you go to the Electoral College, he has the same margin over Trump that Trump had over Hillary. There, you know, it would, Trump would have to flip at least three states in order to defeat Biden, and he's not close. Even in the state he's the closest, Georgia, he's going to lose the recount. I just, it's, it's unbelievable, man. It really is. And then all these claims of voter fraud that get debunked immediately, they've said dead people are voting, and then local reporters have gone and knocked on the door of the person's house, and they're alive. Like, you've got to have a better line of bullshit, but this is all they got. This is what they got. They got washed-up actors saying that leftists are Satan. And by the way, even thinking Biden is a leftist, <laughs> that's unbelievable. He's a moderate Republican. But see, this is, this is what their ideology gets them. It gets them like, oh, you've got to work with guys who believe what John Voight believes. 
you're not going to get anywhere, man. You're not going to get anywhere. Listen, I'm, I want to represent the material interests of all Americans. I do. I want to make sure your family has health care, even if you believe the crazy things John Voigt believes. But I will, I will do anything within the bounds of that which is reasonable to get that accomplished. And if I got a steamroll politically, idiots like this, I believe it was um, ludicrous and mystical. Move, bitch. Get out the way. Because you're going to have to get out the way because I'm stopping at nothing to get those goals accomplished. Instead, the Democrats are going to meet these guys halfway, and we're going to get Social Security cuts, Medicare cuts, things of that nature, and then they're going to pretend like it's some sort of victory. So... Watch out, because if, if you thought everything previously was crazy, the Obama years, you know, the first Trump year, or first Trump term, I should say, it's going to get a hell of a lot more crazy. If you think Tea Party 1.0 was bad, wait till you see Tea Party 2.0. Because there's a, whatever connection to reality they had is quickly going away, and you're going to see a hell of a lot more stuff like this. Okay. All right, let's talk about Trump TV. Trump TV may actually be happening. Business Insider and the Wall Street Journal report the following. Allies to President Donald Trump are exploring the possibility of acquiring and investing in conservative outlet Newsmax to set up a competitor to the Fox News channel, the Wall Street Journal reported. There are ongoing discussions between Newsmax and Hicks Equity Partners, an investment firm connected to the Republican National Committee. CNN reported that Fox News viewers have been navigating over to Newsmax after the network declared Biden was the winner. Um, Also, Trump is out there promoting One America News Network today because they want anybody who will parrot their narrative, even though their narrative is just provably, verifiably false and insane. And Fox News is only willing to go so far in pleasing Trump, like, for example, they were, of course, going to call the election for Biden when Biden won the election, because they have to have some shred of credibility to be considered among the, you know, among the top mainstream outlets. And so that's why they have guys like Chris Wallace on the network, who every now and then will hold Republicans accountable, Um, Brett Baer, like, there's some hosts who have their moments, because they have to give themselves an argument, a veneer of respectability. So they called the election when it was over, and these guys are fuming over that. The Trump people are fuming over that. But then you have outlets like Newsmax and One American News Network who are like, no, we'll just continue to be ultimate uh, postmodernists and just create our own reality and ignore the actual reality. And um, there appears to be a giant upside to that, which is the, the far-right people are now abandoning Fox News, and they're going to Newsmax. They're going to... Um, like I said, One American News Network, and there's other outlets as well that they're going to because there's, there's a, a number of conservative outlets that are basically unwilling 
to toe the Trump line. And in fact, um, I want to show you here, CNN spoke to some of these people who are now fed up with Fox News, and what they have to say is interesting. I don't trust Fox News. Were you guys Fox News fans up until election night? Or? Um, I, we, no, we've been, we were fading fast. Yeah, we're fading fast. Fox News is it, 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 we like it's crap. Fox News called Arizona way early. They never switched it. They never switched it when it got close. Who do you they think control. is pulling Biden's strings? I, Fox News has been a favorite media outlet for President Trump. I watched uh, Fox and Friends in the morning. We've had some incredible strength in terms of people like Sean Hannity, the great Lou Dobbs. I mean, I like some of the things on Fox, certainly Sean and Laura. And Tucker's been great lately. And the network has been criticized for being Trump's mouthpiece. Pro-Trump outlets and some of Fox's biggest stars are enabling this alternative reality that claims uh, that Biden is not president-elect. But during the campaign, as Joe Biden pulled ahead in the polls and was eventually declared the president-elect, many Trump supporters I spoke to said they no longer trust Fox News. I don't even watch the news anymore. I don't even watch Fox anymore. Because they're getting just as bad as the other ones. What's your main source of information? My main source of information is I listen to Alex Jones. When George Floyd, that all happened, I stopped following CNN, Fox News. CNN sucks, man. What did you think CNN sucks? Because you suck. You're the worst news ever. So, Swannon, where'd you get your news from? OAN, baby. OAN? And they're a lot more honest than you. Even Fox News is crooked. Yeah, good luck, bud. Well, only one good on Fox is Tucker Carlson. Maybe a little bit of Greg Guptow. The rest of them, slanted liberals. Doesn't Trump like Fox? He calls it Fox. Not anymore, probably. He called I, it on I don't election know, day. Does he? he called it on election day. Maybe. He did. Maybe. No, he did. Oh, I don't know. So, um, this is amazing to me. And, and understand, it all comes down to the election. Because Trump is insisting, no, I didn't lose, actually. And so his most fervent su- supporters are like, yeah, yeah, he didn't lose. That's the fake news media. And, again, the... What's so astonishing is the level of delusion to, to get into that mindset because I've explained this before and I'll explain it again. The election is not even really that close. Yes, Biden underperformed the polls, but that's because the polls had him winning 351 electoral votes. And I said, worst case scenario, 320. Turns out he won 306. So he underperformed and Trump overperformed, no doubt. But the election ultimately is not that close. Trump would need to flip three or four states in order to win. And, you know, in those states, two or three of them, there's just no way. Like, Trump might get lucky and win the recount in Georgia, although that's not happening. I'll give him a 5% chance of winning the recount in Georgia. 95% chance he doesn't win it, okay? Even if you do that, even if you flip Georgia, Biden still wins. Biden still wins. So what's he going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to flip Nevada where you're down even more? You're going to flip Arizona where you're down more than Georgia? You're going to put Pennsylvania, where now Biden's leading by a full percentage point? Again, ultimately, it was not that close. It was not that close. It's out of the recount zone in Pennsylvania. That's how not close it is. By the way, credit for him making up the gap. Biden had like an eight-point lead, six-point lead, eight-point lead in Pennsylvania, and he ended up winning it by one point. So, yes, Trump closed the gap quite a bit. But it's not, 
I mean, Biden is up in the popular vote by over 5 million votes. So I would ask these people, that's all fake news? Imagine a Republican president wins by over 5 million votes in the popular vote. Would they be like, oh, no, maybe uh, it's illegitimate in some way, or maybe with the Electoral College, if we steal four states, then somehow? No, they'd be like, are you kidding me? This is a mandate. Our guy won by 5 million votes. He won the popular vote. He also won the Electoral College overwhelmingly. We had over 300 electoral votes. Trump called his win a landslide win. So 306 electoral votes, while losing the popular vote by millions, is an Electoral College landslide. But 306 electoral votes and winning, winning by over 5 million, that's not a landslide. That is a landslide. There's no, they don't have consistent standards. So anyway, this gets to the main point here. And I've said this before, but I really think it's an amazing phenomenon that I, I, I enjoy talking about and thinking about because it really throws me for a loop. But I can't get over the fact that when you talk about, hey, let's create a network to the right of Fox News. Let's have a, a, a more pure conservative network. This is what they think. That to them, that just means more authoritarian. So in other words, when people say we need a left-wing network, what do they mean? They mean we want a network that actually sticks to the policy issues more and holds the Democrats accountable along with the Republicans. That's why, you know, people say that left-wing new media, we're all like what MSNBC should be, where the actual left, progressive, social democratic outlets. So in other words, to out-left MSNBC, it's about ideology and policy. And it's not about being more and more sycophantic, right? But to get to the right of Fox News, they're not saying, hey, you should be more principled and stick to conservative policy better and hold the Republicans accountable like you hold the Democrats accountable. No. Creating a network to the right of Fox News, they just want you to be even more sycophantic to Trump and detach yourself from reality more and lie to me more and tell me that Trump somehow won the election, even though there's no evidence he won the election, and all of his court cases are getting thrown out and laughed out of the room. I can't get over that difference. It really is amazing to me. And it really does say, that's not to say there aren't people who are authoritarian and on the left. There are. But, you know, you can't help but think it's more baked into the cake and it's more fundamental to the right. That authoritarianism is more part and parcel of what it means to be like that. Because, again, why, how on earth could you want to create a network to the right of Fox News and you somehow make it even more embarrassing? You know, you somehow make it like you shut off your brain more and you do more propaganda and you just serve the dear leader. I mean, it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. And so, anyway, that's what Trump is, that's the, the hole in the market that Trump is trying to fill here. And, and the talks are real. One of the outlets said there's $200 million that is being negotiated right now. So they're serious. And what Trump would probably do is take Hannity and take Tucker Carlson and basically try to destroy Fox News. And, you know, he would try to use their original model, except just be more extreme and more sycophantic and more pro-Trump. And will it work? Listen, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It might actually work. It might actually work. Because they're trying to undermine the credibility of Fox. But on the other hand, maybe it wouldn't work because there's a real split in the Republican Party right now. And I know people who were pro-Trump, but then when Trump lost, they were like, eh, what are you going to do? 
and they think Biden won. And um, we talked about the, the numbers the other day, but it's something like 40% of the Republican base that uh, is really TFG, too far gone. 60% somewhat acknowledge reality. And so there will be a war. There's already going to be a Republican civil war. But now there's going to be a Republican media civil war as well. And I wonder who's going to win out because, you know, you'll have the Trumpists versus the more establishment types. And the establishment types believe in that veneer of respectability and politeness and civility. And the Trump types do not. And I do think there's also a class divide there, too. The establishment Republicans will be more like upper middle class and upper class folks. And the Trumpists will be more middle class, lower middle class and poor folks. And there's going to be that divide. And um, I just can't get over how extreme the conspiracy theorizing has become, how quickly it got this extreme. And, um, but they're going to rip each other apart. So in some ways, if you're on the left, you can watch this and grab some popcorn because it is going to happen. In the same way that the Democrats have a civil war and it's the left versus the corporatists, the Republicans are going to have a civil war. But the crazy thing is with them, it's all aesthetics. It's nothing about policy because they all agree on policy. It's all about aesthetics. It's all about how sycophantic will you be to Trump, you know, and um, I don't know where this ends, but it's amazing that it's happening. And I do think that you will probably see a Trump TV. I don't know how successful it'll be. I don't know who will win that war in the long run, Fox News or, or the Trump TV people. But um, buckle up and enjoy the ride because it's happening. Next, Bill Maher has uh, an analysis of the election for us. Obviously, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump, but down ballot, the Democrats did really bad. And even Biden underperformed 306 electoral votes. It was supposed to be worst case scenario 320. The actual poll showed 351. So he underperformed. Um, but down ballot, Democrats really underperformed. So Maher has some theories as to why that is. Let's watch. either write off half the country as irredeemable, or they can ask, what is it about a D next to a candidate's name that makes it so toxic? Let's ask Ruben Gallego. He's a congressman from Arizona. He was asked how his Democrats could do a better job connecting to Latinos. He said, first, start by not using the term Latinx, which the vast majority of Latinos have never heard of, and when they do, don't like it. Who likes it? Pandering white politicians who mistake Twitter for real people. And don't get it that Latinx is like fetch. You can try to make it happen, but it's never gonna. Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger said after the election, if we are classifying Tuesday as a success, we will get fucking torn apart in 2022. And that's a congresswoman. <laughs> She was urging members not to talk about defunding the police. James Clyburn agreed. Defund the police is killing our party, he said. Pennsylvania Democrat Connor Lamb says Democratic rhetoric needs to be dialed back. It needs to be rooted in common sense. Thank you. 
thank you. There, in my opinion, is the crux of the problem. Democrats too often don't come across as having common sense to a huge swath of Americans. And these are people who believe in QAnon. <laughs> but as I've said before, politics in this country is binary. You have to wear everything anyone on your side does. Republicans are the party of don't wear masks, kids in cages, lock her up, and Democrats are the party of every hypersensitive social justice warrior woke bullshit story in the news. They're the party that disappears people or tries to make them apologize for ridiculous things. I talked to a guy in the Midwest once who told me this story about the day he went out to get his car in the supermarket parking lot but couldn't back out because a mother and her very young daughter were standing behind his car, which was next to their car, which had a Hillary bumper sticker on it. And the little girl was screaming at her mother, who was profusely apologizing to the child. And he said to me, I just can't let people like that take over this country. That's what people vote on, not policy. Democrats kept saying in the campaign, you can't possibly think Trump is preferable to what we're selling. And many voters keep saying, yes, we can. In fact, our primary reason voting for him is to create a bulwark against you, because your side thinks silence is violence and looting is not. Because you're the party of chasing speakers off college campuses and making everyone walk on eggshells and replacing let's not see color with let's see it always and everywhere, formerly the position of the Ku Klux Klan. It would be so easy to win elections if we would just drop this shit. Democrats need to listen to our new president-elect's old boss. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. Quickly, like before they vote in Georgia. You know, I love this because there's zero evidence for any of the stuff he's saying. Listen, I'm as anti-social justice warrior as anybody. I've done a million segments on that stuff on this show because I think they get ridiculous. But there's no, nobody ran on a platform of being a social justice warrior, you know? Nobody's out there forming a, a pink hair caucus. That's not a thing. Even the go-to examples that these people have been using, nobody ran on it. Nobody ran on defund the police. Nobody ran on that. Or actually, maybe one person ran on that, and that would be Cori Bush, and she won. But by and large, nobody ran on defund the police. This is what activists are saying in the streets. And they're saying it because in these particular communities, there have been really terrible issues with the police, like killing of unarmed people, or they feel like they're under some sort of military occupation. But nobody's running on these things. And so this, this analysis of the election, there's just no evidence for it. This assertion that, like, every time somebody looks at a Democratic politician, they see the most insane college social justice warrior on, on a campus kicking people out because they said something offensive. No, people care about their, their wallets. People care about COVID-19, their wages. I mean, it, it's all about... It's all about the, the kitchen table issues. That's the bread and butter. But this like weird 
elite liberal analysis is sort of like denying a material analysis now and going right towards, hey, here's the thing that pisses me off because people yell at me when I make shitty jokes. And so now I'm going to extrapolate that as if it's the biggest issue in the election in the country. By the way, they've looked into a lot of this stuff, okay? And so there was, um, I forget her name, but there was a, a Democratic congresswoman who lost. And afterwards she said, because AOC and socialism, and this is why I lost. So uh, Walid Shahid of Justice Democrats went back and took a look. Let's see the ads that were ran against this Democratic congresswoman. Virtually everyone was about how she's corrupt. So the real issue, and by the way, she is corrupt. So the real issue was a Democrat was corrupt. It was called out by the Republican. So the Republican won. And then they turn around and go, ah, AOC and socialism. No, it's your fault because you're corrupt. But more importantly, and this is the most important point, Bill, the problem in the election was the Democrats ran on platitudes, cliches, and Trump bad. And it turns out platitudes, cliches, and Trump bad only get you Trump defeated barely with Biden underperforming and down ballot the Democrats did terrible. The whole argument from the Democrats for the past few years have been Trump is really, really, really bad, but it's okay because other Republicans are great. Now watch me snuggle up to Mitt Romney and, and Jeff Flake and John Kasich. Well, you made that argument and you made it over and over and then you're shocked when the American public goes, yeah, the other Republicans aren't that bad. We're going to vote for them. Maybe you shouldn't have made that argument. Maybe you should have believed in more than just platitudes and cliches. Yes, this is what happens when you don't even have a platform to run on that's serious, or to the extent you have it, you don't talk about the good things on that platform. So he's just, he's blaming the wrong things because this is his pet peeve. I don't care that it's your pet peeve. I share some of those pet peeves as well, but that's irrelevant when you're diagnosing what happened in a damn election. Like the Latinx point he makes. Yeah, is it true that polls show the majority of Latinos and Latinas are like, yeah, I don't use that and I think it's silly. Yes, the polls do show that. But that was nowhere to be found in the election. I didn't see any Latinx stuff in the election. Are you kidding me? It's just he's finding these little awkward things about the far left and acting like this represents the entire Democratic Party. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. By the way, also one new a pet peeve of mine that I can't get over now is he, he quotes whatever his name is, Connor Lamb, and he's like, Democrats need to run on common sense. And he's like, yes, run on common sense. Hey, idiot, everybody thinks their own ideas are common sense. Like, you're not saying anything. I'm pro-common sense. Oh, congratulations! You fucking genius! Oh, wow, thank you. Thank you for that. that really, that's so meaningful. Everybody thinks their ideas are common sense. Go talk to the furthest right-wing uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner table you can find. He thinks all his ideas are common sense. Go talk to, you know, a hardcore commie. They'll be like, yeah, my ideas are common Everybody thinks their ideas are common sense. So he's like, let's run on common sense. Everybody thinks they're already doing that, you jackass. Okay, anyway, I digress. That's a random side point. Um, and I think this is super important. Every single Medicare for All supporting Democrat won re-election. Every single one. Now, this is where the objection should pop up in your mind. Yeah, but they're probably all in safe districts, Kyle. Wrong. Every single Medicare for All supporter won re-election, including in swing districts, including in lean Republican districts. You know who got wiped out? The Blue Dogs. You know who else lost? Max Rose in Staten Island, who ran as a Democrat while making arguments like he's a Republican. 
supporting intervention, apologizing for Trump, slamming other Democrats, and he lost. And he lost. So if you actually want to go to the evidence, there's an analysis that just came out. The further left Democrats were, the more likely they are to win. Now, there's a number, how do you define left? There's all these legitimate questions in response to that. But I've explained it before on this show a million times. Yes, in order to win elections, you go to where people already are and you tell them, I agree with you, so you vote for me, you're voting for yourself. I'm going to represent your interests because I agree with the thing that you are pushing for. That's all you got to do. So in other words, lean into economic populism. Go as far left as you want on economics because it turns out people really like it. Now, what I also say, hey, tread carefully when the ideas are unpopular, like defund the police or abolish ICE. Yes, I do think you should tread carefully. But my analysis is not stupid like Bill Maher's where he says, no, no, that's why they, they lost. Nobody was even running on those things. Nobody was even running on those things. So I don't know what election you looked at. The Democratic Party I saw was all platitude, cliche, Trump bad from, for the past few years. And it turns out that wasn't compelling because nobody really knew what the Democrats stood for other than we're not Trump. And again, that was enough to beat Trump, but that's it. And that's even with a pandemic and 230,000 Americans dead, and you barely beat this guy and underperformed in the polls. It's pathetic. If you want a Democratic Party that can win, the formula is really not that difficult. 80% of the American people believe in minimum wage. Why isn't the argument right now for Georgia, listen, if you vote for um, you know, the two Democrats in the runoff elections, we're going to get a higher minimum wage. This election is about whether or not we raise the minimum wage. That's what this election is about. Vote for the Democrats, your minimum wage is getting raised. Why don't you make that argument? In a world that made sense, they should be making that same argument about universal health care, too, and Medicare for all. Hey, vote for us, and everybody gets health care in the middle of a pandemic. That would work. This is what people care about. They care about wages. They care about health care. So, you know, that's how you win elections. You win elections by putting front and center, materially improving people's lives. And I'm going to get to a story later about how Republicans even understand this to a degree. Granted, they never do the right thing in office. But they actually bragged about the handful of decent things that Trump did when, um, when the pandemic hit and like he, he suspended student loan payments because people couldn't pay him. Well, Republicans were bragging about that. What happened? I thought something, something scary, socialism, whatever. No. Turns out when you help people materially, they go, I kind of like this. A stimulus check, right? Everybody, when people get a stimulus check, they're like, whoa, this is nice. So run on stuff like that. It's not that difficult. But Bill Maher's analysis is just made up. It's just like, here's my pet peeve, and I'm going to say that this was the dynamic in the election. Except nobody ran on defund the police. Nobody ran on being an ardent social justice warrior. The problem with the Democratic Party is the corruption. The problem with the Democratic Party is the corporatism. And the problem with the Democratic Party is that their whole philosophy was platitude, cliche, Trump bad. If you replace all of that with Medicare for all, free college, living wage, then we're getting somewhere. Then we're getting somewhere. So listen, again, final point, I'm as anti-social justice warrior as the next person. I think the wokeness goes way too far oftentimes, and I talk about it. But it's, it's so annoying now because, like, the whole, like, anti-woke persona is now just as shrill and ridiculous and insular as the woke people. You know what I mean? Like, pe- people base their identity, identity around this anti-woke shit. And, like, the anti-woke people are the new social justice warriors. The anti-social justice warriors are the new social justice warriors. Because they can't help but see everything through that lens. There's nothing that's not about the stupid culture war. And it's like, get over it. The only reason you think that, Bill Maher, is because you're so fucking comfy and you make so much money 
that you can't imagine, oh, hold on now, material interests are probably more important to people when they can't pay the damn bills, and 30% of the country, you know, is about to get foreclosed on or evicted. So anyway, there you have it. Why am I not surprised that Bill Maher's analysis is bad? A lot of Democrats are hopping onto this too, by the way. You know, Tim Ryan was out there blaming defund the police, something nobody ran on, you know, and um, all the evidence you need is that every Medicare for All supporter won re-election even in swing districts. That's all the evidence I need. If people feel like you're materially trying to improve their lives, they'll vote for you. you these guys are getting lost on the culture war battlefield, and uh, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Okay. All right, let me do one more and then we'll take a break. Joe Biden is doing exactly what we all expected him to do in lefty media world. The Associated Press says President-elect Joe Biden is expected to take a historic step and select a woman to head the Pentagon for the first time. U.S. officials and political insiders regard Michelle Fournoy as a top choice for the job. We also have Stars and Stripes. They say the following. Biden taps transgender veteran to join Department of Defense transition team. They've become the meme of the corporate Democrats. There's one that just went viral, which is amazing. It's uh, two fighter jets, both bombing. One of them says Republican, the other one says Democrat, and the Democrat one has Black Lives Matter on it, and uh, Yes We Can, and an LGBTQ pride flag. And it's like, yeah, that is kind of the difference, because both parties do agree with imperialism. Granted, you know, you have differing degrees as to just how hawkish they are from administration to administration, but as a general rule, you have to buy into the myth of American exceptionalism and uh, imperialism. So that's one of them. And the other one is, um, you know, the very famous drone strikes happening in the background. And somebody says something along the lines of, I hear a woman will be sending the next ones. And the response is, boy, that sure does make you feel like a part of history, doesn't it? So the Democrats are now becoming the memes in real life. They really are. And you'll, you'll find what somebody really believes if you look at the things that they consider off the table. And to the elected Democrats, what's off the table is the, you know, we're the police force of the world. We're the, we're the moral do-gooders. We're the good guys who need to keep order around the world and make sure that everything runs smoothly. And so... They tell themselves these pretty little lies and these stories about how we need to do what we do. We need to do Iraq. We need to do Afghanistan. We need to be bombing seven different countries and having a drone war. And so in their mind, they think, well, that's a given. It's not like there's even another side to that story. There's an argument against it. No, there is no argument against it. So that is what it is. So then what they do is they say, how can we be as progressive as possible within the confines of that reality? Now, you'll notice. That's already not progressive. That's already bad. But once you accept that as a duh position, like, well, obviously that's never going to change. 
Well, then they say, okay, let's be progressive within that framework. And within that framework, the furthest left thing you could do is, I don't know, make the military-industrial complex incredibly diverse. And so this way you could turn around and say, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I got black people. I got brown people. I got gay people. I got trans people all working with Raytheon and Honeywell and Boeing and working in the Pentagon and in the, the intelligence agencies. And so, listen, man, I'm incredibly progressive. Now pat me on the back and tell me I'm great for, you know, taking your identity concern seriously. And, of course, real lefties out there will be pulling their hair out and saying, are you insane? Are you insane? This is the real left position. The correct thing to do is to say, let's stop being an empire. Let's not do any more illegal and offensive wars against countries that didn't attack us. Let's not kill civilians anymore. Let's not have this gross military-industrial complex where war is incredibly profitable for a small number of people. And so we keep making fighter jets and tanks. A lot of them are sitting in the middle of the desert in Nevada because we made more than we could ever need because there was a no-bid contract that was awarded and there was corruption that led to it. The real left position is let's pull out of the Middle East, unwind the empire, and take whatever money we're saving and invest it here at home and do a new infrastructure deal. This is the actual left position. But no, to the corporate Democrats, it's let's be imperialistic, maybe slightly less than the Republicans, you know, maybe not as many hardcore ground invasions, but we'll still do the drone war, for example. So use soft power more, but along with the soft power, man, we really diversified the intelligence agencies in the Pentagon. So if you have a criticism, you know this is coming. If you have a criticism... Maybe you're just sexist or racist or, you know, a transphobe. Maybe that's what it is. So maybe you shouldn't make the criticism that you're going to make because you're being problematic. They will use every trick in the book. Because I told you guys, they always cave on symbolism first. Because the symbolism, nothing hinges on the symbolism. So this is why you see, like, giant multinational corporations with CEOs taking a knee and saying Black Lives Matter. Because they know, hey, if I could take a knee and say Black Lives Matter, it doesn't matter that I'm paying my black employees less than a living wage because I already gave you your symbolism, so shut up and move along. And this is one of the main reasons why you guys always see me. I try to be clear. If there's anything you take away from this show, it should be this. It always comes down to the policy. That's all that really matters. And so they'll try to placate you a million ways. But it needs to be about the policy. It needs to be about Medicare for all and free college and a living wage and ending the wars. Anything short of that, and they're bullshitting you. And this is just such a great example of it here. It's just great. They're doing the exact thing that we thought they would do. It's so hollow and empty to just use identity to then override the reactionary and imperialist nature of what actually is going on. And that's what they'll do. And then they'll look at guys like me and call me an evil brochialist or something. White dude, bro. Cis white dude, bro. And they'll straw man me as like, oh, he doesn't even want diversity in these, in these positions of power. As if that's the argument I'm making, right? The argument I'm making is illegal offensive war is bad, imperialism bad. Let's stop that. The argument they're making is that's not debatable. That's off the table. We're all pro-imperialism. 
we're all pro-illegal wars. So within that context, how do we be as progressive as possible? We'll do identity stuff forever. So this way we could say it's woke imperialism. And isn't woke imperialism better than imperialism imperialism? This is the argument they make. Hey, step in the right direction, right? So shut up and take it. Take your half measure. As if that's a half measure. I have a diverse array of war criminals in my administration. I mean, this is argument. So there you go, guys. There you go. I expect to see a lot more of this moving forward. And I hope that the left is smart enough to never fall for this nonsense. Because I'll tell you right now, everybody was saying before the election, oh, just get Biden in there and then we'll all hold him accountable. We'll fight him on day one. Now watch. Anytime somebody tries to criticize Biden, they're going to say, why are you helping the Republicans? That's what's going to happen. I'm telling you, because I've, I've lived this before. I was there for the entire Obama administration. I lived through it already. That's what happened then. That's what's going to happen now. Anytime you criticize Biden, even if it's from the left, why are you helping the Republicans? So they'll always say, that not, not now, not now, not now, not now. There's always a different time and a better time to try to hold the Democrats accountable. So I hope the left is smart enough to not fall asleep, and I hope the left is smart enough to understand valid criticism and to do the best we can to sort of move everything in a positive direction. But they're, they're a living parody of themselves. They're a caricature of themselves, and this is just such a great example of it. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we got President Obama. President Obama's out there saying quite a bit, and um, we'll talk about it, y'all. Stay right there.
I'm back, bitch. Don't worry, I didn't die. I am here. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Okay, where was I? Um, I lost my place. Oh, we were going to talk about Obama. So President Obama has a new book coming out, and he made him he made uh, he made the rounds. Um, he made the rounds doing interviews. So uh, this should be interesting. This should be interesting. President Obama has a new book coming out, and he's been doing interviews for it. Um, here you're going to get a sense of what he thinks our biggest problems are in the Trump era. Watch. The power of that alternative worldview that's presented in the media that those voters consume. It carries a lot of weight. Are you worried about that? Yes. It's very hard for our democracy to function if we are operating on just completely different sets of facts. You write in the book, our democracy seems to be teetering on the brink of a crisis. What do you mean? We have gone through a presidency that disregarded a whole host of basic institutional norms, uh, expectations we have for a president that uh, had been observed by Republicans and Democrats uh, previously, uh, and maybe most importantly uh, and, and uh, most disconcertingly, what we've seen is what some people call truth decay, <laughs> something that's been accelerated by outgoing President Trump in the sense that not only do we not have to tell the truth, but the truth doesn't even matter. So what he's saying here is not wrong. It's not wrong. It's truth decay is this thing he's talking about and how it's really hard for a country to function when you have, you know, the, the different sides of the political aisle operating on what he says are different sets of facts. Um, that's a real issue. And I think it is getting worse because you see that even Fox News is unwilling to go along with the most insane Trump conspiracies. Like, they're still mad that Fox News called the election for Biden. I mean, think about that. That's insane. They're mad that Fox is saying, hey, here are the numbers and here's reality. So this is a real problem, and it's getting worse because now Trump is feeding that further right-wing pipeline, Newsmax, you know, uh, One America News Network. So I don't want to uh, disregard what he's saying here or downplay what he's saying here, but I will say this. That is definitely not the whole picture. And the fact that he highlights this shows me he's picking a narrative that's convenient to his own failures. Because the reality is, no, Obama, it's not just the case that, well, you know, the Republican side of the aisle, they've just been fed nonstop propaganda all these years and, and different sets of facts, and they just don't care about truth. And that's why we have such a hard problem governing and we have a, you know, a country that's in a bad place right now. It's that, you know, basically the argument is these people have been brainwashed and, like, they're dupes 
And so that led to where we are now. But no, no. The reason why Trump was elected, it has a lot more to do with also the fact that your administration let a lot of people down. You know, there was an increase in outsourcing jobs under your administration. The, the economic recovery after the Great Recession, most of it went to the top 1%. There's been detailed economic breakdowns of this stuff. A lot of the things Obama promised to do, he didn't do. He said he was going to end the war. We didn't end the wars. So he's really, this argument, even though there's a grain of truth in it, like what he's pointing at is a real thing. He's making it too all-encompassing to excuse his own failures. You couldn't have had a Donald Trump without a Barack Obama and Joe Biden administration chronically underperforming because we wanted, we voted for a new FDR and we got a new Bill Clinton. We voted for a new FDR and we got a new Bill Clinton. And we got a neoliberal corporate half-measure administration at a time when we had a subprime mortgage crisis and a great recession and you had people being foreclosed on left and right, being kicked out of their houses. A tremendous amounts of pain in the country, and it wasn't addressed in a substantive enough way. They did good things. They saved GM, for example. That was a good thing. Did some stuff on foreign policy that I love, like the Iran deal. But this stuff wasn't nearly enough. And you have an administration that was pushing for TPP, a new outsourcing deal, during the election. So all Trump had to do was go to the, the industrial Midwest and say, these guys want to ship more of your jobs overseas. What are you, crazy? You're going you're gonna to vote for Hillary, whose husband didn't have to? That's what you're going to do? Are you insane? No, you vote for me. I'm going to protect your job. I'm going to take on the elites. And so it's too convenient a narrative for himself. It lets him off the hook completely. By the way, there's another argument, which I think is, is also true, which he doesn't touch, which is an even more favorable argument for him, which is, yes, there were many Trump supporters, and, and it was like a racial resentment thing. That, that exists. That's real. There was the sort of you know, David Duke, Richard Spencer contingent of voters, for lack of a better descriptor here, that it, it, Trump probably falls into this to some extent, that there was like, you know, a black dude ran the country for eight years, and there was sort of like a backlash to that. And that's why you saw a lot of the conspiracy theories around Obama were like, he's not American, fundamentally questioning whether or not he even belongs here. Gee, I wonder why. You know, they said they acted like he was born in Kenya. He wasn't. He was born in Hawaii. We have the birth certificate and everything. Meanwhile, John McCain in 2008, he was born on a military base in Panama. That's less American. I'm technically it's American. It's a military, American military base. But he was in Panama. So it's funny how the guy who was actually born here was the one who was accused more of not being born here. Gee, I wonder why. Because they were question, trying to undermine how American he was. Now, he doesn't touch the racial angle on this, but that's classic Obama. He always sort of avoided the racial angle of all this stuff. And there's probably a good chance he wouldn't have became president if he didn't navigate the waters of race in a really interesting way. Um, so, but yeah, it's not as simple as, oh, there's truth decay. One side believes in facts, the other doesn't believe in facts. And that's how we got where we are. No, I think an analysis that's a lot more poignant, even though there is a lot of truth to that, it goes beyond that. It's also about the rise of Trump and the rise of populism across the board, left and right. That had a lot to do with the fact that the elites, the institutions, the establishment over the years has left people behind and exists solely to serve a small number of people at the top. 
So you have an increase in income and wealth inequality. You have a decrease in wages, decrease in life expectancy. It's the first time ever in, in history that post the Industrial Revolution, post development, now we have a regress in, you know, life expectancy? Diseases of despair are on the way up. Addiction on the way up. We didn't address these things in a fundamental way. Obama didn't do nearly enough. He did half measures all day when he should have been do- going the full FDR New Deal style. And that, in part, helped lead to, led to the rise of Trump. Yes, the racial resentment angle is real, but also the, the outsider-insider element is real. The fact that this guy ran as a populist and said, I'm, I'm not like these corrupt people. I'm an outsider. I'm going to protect your job. So um, it's too convenient. His narrative is too convenient to excuse the ways in which he failed. And, um, you know, what I'm interested in is maybe he knows on some level that that part of the analysis is true as well. Maybe he knows and he just doesn't. Because I think he's smart. I think Obama's smart. And so he probably knows, like, yeah, I see that part of the reason why Trump won is because of the failures of my administration. So in other words, I think that a lot of, like, you know, this attempt to deify Obama after the fact, he might know on some level it's a little ridiculous. I'm sure he looks at some things that he did and he says, yeah, that was wonderful. But does he know the ways in which he fell short? Probably. He probably does. And so that's why you have plenty of people who were two times Obama voters who flipped to Trump. So anyway, this is, I think you're going to see a lot more of this from Obama moving forward, because if he controls the narrative and if he makes this argument, it excuses everything about him. That was bad. You know, if the whole narrative is, oh, there's truth decay, one side believes in facts, the other side doesn't, or they're given alternative facts, well, what do you expect to happen? You know, that just disregards the fact that there was still tremendous pain in the country after he promised big change and delivered pocket change. And so, yeah, people were going to go with a radical solution, whether it was Trump or whether it was Bernie. You know, there's an argument he had it stolen from him, not once but twice. So um, there you have it trying to decide whether or not I want to read that book. Probably going to pass, not going to lie. Okay, next. Fox host Leland Vittert, who is the host of the show that I've been on a few times, um, he sparred with the Trump campaign over the election, and it became nearly incoherent. All right, so David, no points to concede. What's the path then to 270? 
Well, considering no state has actually certified the election results, there are ballots still being counted across the country. This is going to take some time to make sure we count every legal vote and do not count any illegal votes. Well, in okay, the United I, 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 I understand. I understand that, but in, uh, we've we've heard okay. that talking point for a long time. But just go through the vote totals. Uh, in Georgia, okay. President okay. Trump uh, okay. is behind. There's currently a recount uh, there. Uh, People have said they don't think it's going to change, even the Republican officials there. Pennsylvania, the president's behind by tens of thousands of votes. Even if you win all the lawsuits, uh, it doesn't count those uh, and wouldn't make up for the difference. Nevada, the president's behind. Arizona, uh, the president is far behind, even though your campaign said by last Friday, a week ago, uh, the president was going to be ahead. Uh, Wisconsin, the uh, president is behind as well. What states are the president, is the president going to pull ahead in? Well, Leland, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak. It seems like you are certainly not keen to let that happen today. But let's talk about Pennsylvania for a fact here. Okay. There are almost 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania that were counted in uh, opposition to the Constitution, an actual egregious error there where they violated the Equal Protection Act. Nope, you're going to let me finish. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, almost 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania and in Michigan. Let's have a conversation about that state as well, where you have video from Fox News of individuals boarding up the windows again in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Hold on, let me ask you a
Wow. You know, it really is something to see how there's a breakup happening. There's a divorce happening between Donald Trump, his wing of the party, and Fox News. Because Fox News, as biased as they are, as partisan as they are, they're not willing to go to certain lengths that the Trump people want them to go to. Like, when every other news outlet called the election, and they're calling the election because of their data analysts and experts who are giving them the reality, what was Fox News supposed to do? Tell their own data analysts and election experts, no, you're wrong. They weren't going to do that. But that is what caused the initial rift. And now here we are. You're having these insane arguments where the Trump position is just beyond absurd. There was one moment in there where she says, like, all we want is to let the courts decide. Okay, they're doing it. And they're throwing out virtually all of your cases. I, I want to do a plug again on this because I think it's really important. But um, Rising with Crystal and Sager have been going through the court cases, looking into the details of them and reporting them basically every time. They're like, oh, this, it was thrown out immediately. It's a joke. It's a joke. They don't have any evidence for the things that they're claiming. And so they're being laughed out of the courtroom. One judge described it as hearsay within hearsay. They don't have any evidence. So if you say leave it up to the courts, I say okay, and the courts are siding against Trump. Um, and then this whole, like, this whole thing about 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Is the claim that there were 700,000 illegal votes that were cast in Pennsylvania, is that the claim? They go on to, she goes on to say, well, the dead people are voting. There's no dead people voting. In fact, the examples that were given by the Trump war room were immediately debunked by low-budget local news outlets who knocked on the door of the person's home and the person was alive. It's all these insane stories, animals voting. It's all, that's, ironically, that's fake news. It's fake news. Now, when they make this distinction and they keep hammering it home, we want to count all the, Ill, the legal votes, don't count any of the illegal votes. What do they mean? They mean, let's do voter disenfranchisement and try to find ways to find loopholes to throw out votes that we don't like. Let's go to heavily Democratic areas, and let's try to throw out whatever we can. So how do they do such a thing? I've given this example before, but on some of your government documents, it may just say your first name and your last name. Other documents of yours, it might have your middle name. Some might have your middle initial. I know this is what it's like with me. Some of my things have my middle name. Some of them don't have my middle name. Some of them have my middle initial. Some of them don't have my middle initial. What they'll do is they'll go through it and try to match stuff up. Ah, ah, your, your records say you this is your middle initial. You didn't put your middle initial when you signed your signature. What am I going to do? i got to throw it out. Oh, did you, did you move? You didn't, you didn't record that soon enough, or there's a discrepancy here, so sorry, we're going to have to throw that out. This is the stuff that they try to do, guys. This is what they try to do. So... I just want you to understand that the real concern in this election is the exact opposite of what they're yelping about. Their argument is, oh, my God, there's all these illegal votes. There's not. There's no evidence of that. The real issue is voter disenfranchisement, where they try any way to throw out votes in heavily Democratic areas, because they know the lower the turnout, especially in Democratic areas, the more likely it is that Trump wins. So that's what they're trying to do. But they're not going to find enough votes. And I love how... She says at one point, the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution was violated during vote counting. 
who comes up with this stuff? I honestly think that this started with like a Facebook meme and now it just took off like wildfire. And now you're hearing people say this. The equal protection clause of the Constitution was violated during vote, during vote counting. They're trying to make the case. The po- our poll watchers weren't even allowed in, bro. Our poll watchers, bro. Guys, in the room counting all the votes, it's Democrats and Republicans. Let me repeat that. In the room counting all the votes are Democrats and Republicans. What do you mean poll watchers? There's Republicans in the room. The real dispute, by the way, to the extent there were them, uh, it was about how far away the poll watchers can be. Another one was they were trying to cover up the windows and one of these things is they were counting the votes because there were concerns about the privacy of the people who they were counting the votes for. You got these madmen looking at everything and you got the addresses and stuff and all the information laid out right there. They wanted to protect people's privacy. They just, they, they've become more and more unhinged. And, uh, you know, guys, again, I hate to tell this to you if, if you're a right-winger or you're a Trump voter, the election's not that close. If the election was about around 270 electoral votes, yes, you could have a Bush versus Gore situation where they basically try to steal it. You could have that. This is 306 electoral votes. Trump would need to swing like three or four states. He's not going to do it. The closest one is Georgia, and even in Georgia, the margin isn't razor thin anymore. The margin in Florida was much thinner. Biden's up by what, about 15,000 votes or so in, in um, Georgia. You're not going to win. You're not going to win Georgia. You're not going to win Arizona. You're not going to win Nevada. You're not going to win Pennsylvania. In fact, Biden's up by a full point now in Pennsylvania, outside of the realm of a recount. This is wishful thinking, man, all day long. So I don't, it's kind of amazing to me that they're willing to embarrass themselves and go out there and make this argument when it's like everything is against them. All of the court cases are getting thrown out. You're not even close to making sense. The conspiracy theories are endless. Now there's one about there was a supercomputer in Germany that found that actually Trump won like over 400 electoral votes. People really believe this shit. They really believe this shit. Guys, you lost Fox News. Leland Vitter, who was trying to hold the Trump person accountable there, is no right winger. Me and him debated a little bit when I was on his show a few times. He's not, or excuse me, he's no left winger. I think I said he's no right winger. No, he is a right winger. He's a center right guy. You know, but it, they're trying to make it seem like, oh my God, he's this crazy lefty, because he is being honest about the the election results. It's just pathetic, man. It's just pathetic. So I can't believe they're still doing this. Trump is out there on Twitter today saying, I won the election. The postmodern presidency. I created my own reality, and I will try to make that override the actual reality. That's what we're witnessing. Okay. Next. Democrats are signaling complete capitulation on all the issues that matter. Here's Dick Durbin on CNN talking about what comes next after Biden's win. Point comfortable with eliminating the filibuster? 
Listen, I live in the world of Senate rules more than most, uh, and I understand how they can be used effectively and how they can just be a roadblock to anything happening. Here's the good news. In conversations I've had since November 3rd with Republican senators, we sat down and got very honest and very candid on a personal basis, and they are frustrated. They want the Senate to do things. I believe that's where the potential is for the future, that with Republicans who are ready for the Senate to be active and engaged in finding compromises and moving forward, the Senate rules won't hold us back. Filibuster, you wouldn't support it right now? Because, you know, Senator Manchin calls it BS. Yes. I I can tell you at this point, uh, there are a lot of factors involved. At this point, what I want to focus on is first, winning Georgia, second, finding bipartisan solutions, and third, letting Joe Biden use the presidency to put America back on its feet, to overcome the COVID-19 pandemic, and to get this economy back to work. Okay. That's a white flag. That's what that is. That's what that is. So um, he's saying, listen, I talked to Republican senators. They spoke to me on a personal basis, and um, they say they want the Senate to do things. And so we're going to, quote, find compromise. We're also going to, quote, do bipartisan solutions. Every single thing that's part of the Democratic agenda, is out the window because they won't agree to it. The only thing Republicans will agree to are their priorities. So the thing I fear the most is the so-called grand bargain, namely the cutting of Social Security and Medicare under the guise of we had to do it, and actually we're just saving these programs for the long run, and we're not really cutting them, we're just reforming them. That's the thing I fear the most, for sure, because Biden was always open to that. In fact, there's countless speeches of him talking about this in Congress, in the Senate. He's open to that, and now if the Democrats are saying, oh, first we're going to look for bipartisan solutions and finding compromises, that, that's a sign of, like, we're going to agree to their priorities. Because you're not going to get any Republican senators to agree to, for example, um, raise the minimum wage. Increasing the minimum wage already passed the House, by the way, to their credit. But in the Senate, are Republicans going to be down to vote for raising the minimum wage, assuming you need even one or two Republican votes? And you wouldn't need more than that, by the way. But assuming you only need one or two Republican votes, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So what are they going to do? They're going to, are they going to do new stimulus checks? They won't even do it under Trump. McConnell wouldn't even do it under Trump. He's going to do it under a Biden administration? There's a quote that went viral on Twitter recently. It was of negotiations between Barack Obama and Mitch McConnell, and Joe Biden was negotiating on behalf of Barack Obama with Mitch McConnell, and they were talking about one of their bills. They're like, listen, here's the reasons why we got to do this. McConnell's response was, oh, you must be under the impression that I care. Must be under the impression that I care. I I don't care. I don't care about your priorities. I don't care about how good this would be for the American people. I don't care about how many people this helps. I'm not for it. Piss off. And now what do you get? This is the Democratic reaction. I talked to Republicans on a personal level. And they said, we want the Senate to do things, find compromises and bipartisan solutions. I need everybody to understand that those things are not inherently good. Bipartisan solutions and compromise, those things are not inherently good. 
It depends what's in the compromise. If Democrats and Republicans are getting together and agreeing we should bomb another country that didn't attack us, I'd say that's a terrible compromise and that's a terrible bipartisan solution. But they act like it's a good in and of itself. So they could turn around and say, oh, see, we did something. Pat us on the back. But really it's because, you know, they all have roughly the same donors. They have billionaires and corporations donating to them. And so no matter what, they're going to serve those donors. And so in some ways, the Democrats like the Washington generals and that they're like paid to lose. And the Republicans are paid to run roughshod over the Democrats and get more of their agenda implemented, which is, of course, tax cuts for the rich and deregulation and things of that nature. Bailouts for Wall Street under Democrats and Republicans. We see bailouts of Wall Street nonstop. But anyway, this is what this is. It's a, re- it's a, excuse me, a white flag. It's a white flag. Dick Durbin's like, yeah, we're, uh, we're not going to do anything to force our agenda through. We're going to work for bipartisan solutions, and the only thing Republicans are going to agree to are Republican ideas. So stop and think about it. When the country votes for Republicans, we get Republican policy. When the country votes for Democrats, we get Republican policy. But I guess this is what everybody should have expected, given that the entire election was run on platitude, cliche, Trump bad. That's the entire Democratic message. Platitude, cliche, Trump bad. So it wasn't about health care. wasn't about jobs. wasn't about eliminating student loan debt. wasn't about any of that stuff. wasn't about wages. And so why would I expect them to do anything good on that front? I'd be naive to, to think that. The most you're going to get out of the Biden administration is his first week where he'll do some executive actions that will make everybody happy. After that, it'll be nothing but perpetual gridlock, perpetual obstruction, and to the extent that anything gets done, it'll be on Republicans' terms. And this is Dick Durbin basically admitting that. Tucker Carlson did a segment on the issue of Afghanistan, but take note of the way in which he dances around the elephant in the room. This is interesting. Well, within about 20 minutes, you started seeing stories in the usual propaganda outlets claiming the president hates our troops, criticize the Pentagon, and you hate the troops. No one's writing stories like that about Joe Biden. Biden has been a defender of the defense industry for decades. Back in 2003, he was an avid defender of the invasion of Iraq. Some of my own party have said that it was a mistake to go to Iraq in the first place. The cost of not acting against Saddam, I think, would have been much greater. And so is the cost, and so will be the cost, of not finishing this job. Hmm. So, under Biden presidency, our foreign policy is likely to change. And the question is, how? Well, in May, Joe Biden's foreign policy advisor gave us a preview of that. He's a man called Tony Blinken. He said he considers America's military presence in Syria to be, quote, leverage. And to the extent that the United States had any remaining leverage in Syria to try to effectuate some more positive outcome, um, unfortunately, the, the Trump administration has more or less uh, torn that up, too, um, pulling out entirely um, in, uh, in Syria has taken away significant leverage. 
significant leverage. Well, it turns out we haven't pulled out of Syria. In fact, we learned today that there are more American troops in Syria than any of us knew. The Pentagon apparently lied to the administration about that. So we're not leaving Syria because it's leverage. Are we ever leaving Afghanistan? Apparently the administration is trying to pull out in the next month. Is it going to work? It's amazing to me that he does these segments and he calls out the elites and the establishment, the deep state, endless war, but he always stops short of criticizing Trump or chastising Trump or saying, you're the commander-in-chief, no excuses, get all the troops out now. He's been in office for a while now. What is he waiting for? And don't give me this nonsense about, oh, we stonewalled at every turn. He could still override them. Yes, every, every couple months, Trump goes to Twitter and says, we're getting out of Afghanistan. And everybody's like, oh, good. And then behind the scenes, somebody's like, we're not going to do that. And he's like, you're right, we're not going to do that. He is the commander in chief. He can override these people. So override them. Override them. See, this is the problem with Trump. He's what I call a path of least resistance guy. And so he just wants everything to run smoothly while he's president. And he'll go out there and make the case that I'm amazing, I'm tremendous, we're making America great again, it's unbelievable. And he loves the rally portion of him being president. But behind the scenes, he's like, just keep everything functioning. No, take a stand, pull the troops out. He criticizes people on the issue of Syria and acts like they want us to be in Syria, that's crazy. And then he admits we have more troops in Syria now than ever before. So why are you not blaming Trump for that? Why are you not blaming Trump for us still being in Afghanistan and Iraq? He can get us out of these places. He has chosen not to get us out of these places. He's acquiesced. That's not okay. So I'm perpetually amazed by Tucker because he does these segments and it's like the person who deserves the most blame is the guy who you're protecting the most. Say it. What are you doing? What are you waiting for? It's Trump. For fuck's sake, you're close enough with him where you could call him or you could text him. And you could be like, you got to get out of Afghanistan and Iraq, and you got to do it right now. You got to do it right now. See, I don't, this is the stuff that drives me crazy. It's like, even with like the, the populist stuff, and yeah, I'm, I'm against outsourcing, and I'm against all these terrible trade deals. Trump's 2017 tax cut law incentivized outsourcing. Let me repeat that. Trump's 2017 tax cut law incentivized outsourcing. It also cut the corporate tax rate massively. If you're really a populist and you really care about the people on this, why did you not call that out? That was a terrible law. Why didn't you call that out? 83% of the benefits of that went to the top 1%. That's not populist. All the deregulation Trump's done, that's not populist. So it's just, it, it's, a, it's a farce, it's a scam. It's just, it's a PR effort. You know, it's a marketing ploy. Like, oh, I see that we're in a populist era and this is what the people want, so let me position myself there, even as your president perpetuates business as usual. So, yeah, I agree. All that criticism of Joe Biden, totally co-signed, 100%. All the criticism of the people in the Pentagon, the people in the intelligence agencies who are keeping us in all these wars, I agree 1 million percent. But I go a step further than Tucker. First and foremost, blame Trump because he's president now. In the same way that I blamed Obama when Obama wasn't getting us out of the wars when he said he would. I blamed Obama. Why? Because it was his fault. The buck stops with him. He's commander-in-chief. The buck stops with Trump. He's commander-in-chief. So get out. Get out right now. 
there, there are whispers that maybe the firing of Esper and other top Pentagon officials was because he wants to get out of Afghanistan. I don't know if that's true yet. We'll see. We'll see. But he says, oh, we're supposed to get out within the next month. What does that mean, get out now? Just get out right now. He was saying he was going to get out in the first year, and we haven't. If anything, we've increased troop levels. Even in his recent interview with Jonathan Swan of Axios, he was like, oh, we're going to get out. And Jonathan Swan pushed him on it, and he's like, how many troops will be in there when uh, the election comes or when it's time for you to go in January? And he was like, a couple thousand. Okay, that's not getting out. You can't say that's getting out. That's not getting out. Getting out is no more troops there. Couple thousand. He may have even said like four thousand troops there. It was anywhere from two to four. I don't remember exactly what he said. But that's not getting out. Criticize him first and foremost. Him. But no. It's DC elites want the US to remain in endless wars. Right. Including the ultimate elite, the president of the United States, who's also the commander in chief. Funny how the criticism was soft on him but heavy on Biden. One of America, ooh, shit, I got to change the graphic. One of America's dumbest far right wing pundits, Mark Levin, weighed in on the results of the election and uh, he demonstrated what I would classify as a textbook example of the phenomenon known as psychological projection. Watch. who is not claiming to be the president-elect and that he serves in the office of the president-elect, who's undermining our constitutional system and is sounding very much like a dictator, is Joe Biden. We have one president at a time, one president at a time. Donald Trump is president in his first term for the next two months. And then we have people like Obama, and he's not the only one, Republicans too, making pronouncements that there is no fraud. These are men and women who have no idea what they're talking about. And then they claim that this president is undermining the Constitution when they sat still for four years as the media and the Democrats were trying to destroy this presidency, attacking the people who elected him, and undermining the integrity of our democratic system. Undermining the integrity of our democratic system. Undermining the integrity of our democratic system. Biden won with 306 electoral votes. Trump is refusing to acknowledge that. And it's getting worse and worse by the day. You just tweeted today, I won the election. Undermining the integrity of our democratic process. It's stunning just how much everything he said applies to Trump. In an attempt to protect Trump, he's describing what Trump is doing. I mean, obviously the best part is Quote, sounding very much like a dictator. Joe Biden is sounding very much like a dictator. I got a million criticisms of Joe Biden. Ain't a damn thing he said recently since, he's been in, since he got elected that sounds like him being a dictator. No, he's getting everything lined up for when he becomes president. He's trying to do the transition. You know, he's got a couple task forces or whatever they're called together. He's got the COVID task force. He's talking to you know, the people who were potentially going to be in his administration. Sounding very much like a dictator. Why? Because he's like, I won. 
You know why he said that? Because he won. Not even that close. Over 5 million votes in the popular vote. 306 electoral votes, the same margin Trump beat Hillary by. Sounding very much like a dictator. These guys, I mean, I don't know how else to describe this, but ruthless, dumb, partisan hacks. Everything to Mark Levin comes down to tribalism. Comes down to red team good, blue team bad. That's his whole identity. That's his whole profession. That's every thought that comes out of his mouth, if you could even call them thoughts when it comes to his political analysis and commentary. Red team good, blue team bad. Trump good, Biden bad. That's it. That's, that's as far as it goes. To the point where he'll make these arguments, which are criticisms that are way more sound of Trump, but he's making them against Biden. I like how he said, oh, you got people out there, Obama, he's making pronouncements saying there's no fraud. He's saying there's no fraud because there's no evidence of fraud. Virtually every single lawsuit brought forth by the Trump campaign, they're going to court over this election. All the lawsuits are getting dismissed and laughed out of court. And every time they make a claim of like, oh, dead people are voting, local news outlets go knock on the door and it's not a dead person. And they voted because they have every right to vote. He's, he's, he's laughing at the idea that there's no fraud. There's zero evidence of fraud. Zero. And even if I grant you all of your fake instances of fraud, I'll grant you all of them, Biden still wins because it's not close. What are you going to do, three or four states you're going to swing the results when some of them binds up, and it, uh, binds up a full percentage point like in Pennsylvania? That's not in the realm of that which is stealable. Arizona, not in the realm of it. Nevada, not in the realm of it. Georgia's the only one that's, that's close enough to go to a recount, and it's really barely in that realm, so Biden's 95% chance going to win it. But even if I give you Georgia, you still lose. It's amazing. It's like they have no honesty, integrity, shame. I'd be embarrassed to come out here and play the protection game, play defense for my team like these guys do. I'd be embarrassed. You go back and look at the stuff I was saying during the Obama administration. When he did something wrong, I was like, he's doing something wrong. You want to know why? Because I'm not a hack. Because I have things that I care about, and I'm going to hold people accountable. Does Mark Levin have anything that he really cares about in terms of policy? No, he's just a partisan hack. His whole thing is Democrats suck and Republicans are awesome. And, you know, he, he doesn't care that what he's saying is just laughably untrue, because it's not about that. It's about doing the propaganda. It's about playing for the team. And so now Joe Biden, yeah, Joe Biden, I don't know, he's like a dictator, because he won an election, and he's doing the things one would do after they win an election— I don't know, he's like a dictator. Even though the closer thing, for sure, is the guy who lost saying, actually, no, I didn't lose and I don't want to go anywhere. That would be the dictator. That would be the dictator. They don't even have convincing lines of bullshit anymore. Like the whole, oh, count the legal votes, but not the illegal votes. Illegal votes? There are no illegal votes. What are you talking about? But what they mean is, throw out all the things where we can find a discrepancy. So, oh... You have a middle name, but it's only your middle initial on, on the ballot or it's on the government documents. What are we going to do? We've got to throw it out. Oh, you're adding We've got to throw it out. This is what they mean. This is exactly what they mean. Find discrepancies and throw it out because the lower the turnout, the more likely it is Trump does better. Go to high Democratic areas and throw votes out there. And then we'll say, oh, legal, legal votes, illegal votes, whatever. We'll come up with all these conspiracy theories. 
It's just, it's so obnoxious. At least give me, at least make arguments that while wrong, I could still sort of respect intellectually, where you have an angle. Here, these people have no angle. They have no angle at all. They're just, you know, it's just a parade of idiots making one insane claim after the other. And I have absolutely no respect for it. So from now on, I guess this is going to be the trick. Make arguments that would be decent criticisms of Trump and just say, yeah, that's, this is Biden. Again, I got a million problems with Joe Biden. Him somehow being a dictator by acknowledging the results of the election? Dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, next. We have some good news when it comes to fighting COVID-19. This is really something here. Dr. Scott Gottlieb told CNBC on Monday that the devastating coronavirus pandemic could effectively be ended next year following promising developments around Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. The Massachusetts-based biotech company on Monday announced that its coronavirus The vaccine was 94.5% effective in preventing COVID-19 based on preliminary data from its phase three trial. The news comes one week after Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, said an interim analysis showed their vaccine was more than 90% effective in preventing COVID-19 among trial participants who had not previously been infected. Quote, if these full data sets hold, when the full data comes out, we may have two highly effective vaccines against COVID. Scott uh, Gottlieb, a board member of Pfizer, said on Squawk Box, that's one thing to bear in mind. He's a board member. Uh, I feel like any financial, you know, conflicts of interest are relevant here. Um, once we get the, these vaccines in sufficient qualities, qualities? I think they meant quantities, headed into 2021, The combination of the fact that a lot of the population will already have had COVID combined with the fact that we'll be vaccinating the public with a highly effective vaccine, we could effectively end this pandemic in 2021 with our technology, added Gottlieb, a former U.S. Food and Drug Administration commissioner in the Trump administration. So um, they're saying there are two vaccines that have proven to be very effective. I, I hope it's true. It probably is true. Um, I'm always a little skeptical, though, because you do see a lot of financial fuckery going on behind the scenes, where it's like every time there's one of these announcements, the pharma stocks shoot up massively. And there was actually just an issue where after one of these announcements, somebody sold and they sold it like this really high point, sold all, all their stock and executive. And it's like, what if this was all just that? What if the whole point was like, yeah, just give people some false, false hope and let me run out the back door with all the money? I mean, what's the downside? You give them false hope and they find out a little bit later, well, the vaccine isn't quite ready yet. I mean, listen, I know that's a, a cynical view, a skeptical view. I know that, that um, you know, that's a conspiracy. I'm freely admitting there's no evidence for it. But at the same time, I don't trust these pharma companies. And this is why, you know, I've been screaming for the longest time. It's not just that we should have a Medicare for all system. NHS style, you know, UK style system. I think everything in the health industry should be nationalized. I do. I do. Because there are certain things where the profit motive 
is a perverse incentive. And I think with health, it's a perfect example of that. Just so everybody knows, a lot of the developments, a lot of the breakthroughs and the innovation and the creativity, it happens in universities that are funded with government money. So this idea that you need the competition aspect in order to get to the next level, no, a lot of the, a lot of the, the innovation and the creativity and the new stuff comes from government funding in universities. And then what happens is the pharma companies swoop in, buy up the rights to it, and then they price gouge you anyway. They double charge you. You paid for the, the, the tax funding of the creation of this stuff, and then they turn around and charge you again after they buy up the rights, and they price gouge you when it's time to actually use the medicine and buy the medicine. So nationalize it. Nationalize pharma and nationalize, um, you know, the healthcare system. Health insurance should be single payer. That's, that's Medicare for all, single payer. Um, the government is the single insurer. That's what it should be. So it, it should be government across the board for this stuff because, and just so everybody knows, again, I say this also because I'm an empiricist. The evidence is clear. The places that do this have much better health outcomes. They save money. And I just don't see the downsides on that front where you treat healthcare like a right. If anything should be off the table in a civilized society, it's healthcare. So, again, everybody, people who don't know this might think like, oh, that's extreme or whatever. No. A lot of developed countries have this. The U.K. has this. They have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. All I want is their model. That's it. So the evidence shows this approach works better. Now, again, to come back to this vaccine, God, I hope that my, my, my cynicism is wrong. I really hope my cynicism is wrong. Because if this is true, then this is everything ending the pandemic next year, because the numbers are just absurd now. They keep rising and rising and rising in the United States. Um, we're, we're worse now than we've ever been when it comes to COVID-19. You know, think about how much everybody was panicking about it in March and April and, and then in May, and then now we're way worse than we were then. It's just, it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. So we need something. We need something. And, um, a vaccine would be amazing. The, there has been a development in, in the medicine to treat it as well. We're a lot better at treating it now than we were when the pandemic started. Um, listen, a lot of the drugs that Trump got are the drugs that really work. Remdesivir is one that, that works really well. Steroids. Um, you have antibody treatment. Trump had an antibody treatment, which was kind of like cutting edge, newer stuff. It was technically experimental. That stuff appears to have quite a bit of promise. Um, there's other kinds of antibody treatments that are going on. And um, we're in a better place now than we were in terms of treatment. But the numbers are still sky high and worse than they've ever been, in fact. So I hope that this is true. I hope that, I hope that both these vaccines work. And I hope, I remember covering a story early on about they had like an old school vaccine that they tried with COVID. And that showed promise as well. I haven't seen an update on that one. But I just I hope it works and we can defeat this thing and we can defeat it quickly because um, this thing has really upended so many lives and killed over 230,000 Americans and destroyed the economy and turned the world upside down. So I think we're all rooting for it. We're all rooting for it. Um, and I just hope that it's as effective as they say. But I guess I just... I'll believe it when I see it. I guess we're seeing some of it now, but I'll believe it when it's actually rolled out and, it, uh, and it's working. So 
anyway, there you have it. Um, it's nice to give news that is at least somewhat positive. You know, even with my my cynicism in the story, I think this is uh, still positive to some extent. So let's get it done. Let's uh, let's beat this thing and let's beat it ASAP. I found this interesting, and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Look at this. Long Facebook post from Marianne Williamson on new agers she sees completely taken in by right-wing authoritarian Trump QAnon phenomenon. So here you can see some of what Marianne said. It's very disheartening to see how many people with phrases like spiritual coaching after their name and lots of hearts and flowers all over their posts seem to now seem now to be completely taken in by the right-wing authoritarian Trump Q phenomenon. I don't know how it happened, but it's supremely ironic that so many who never even bothered to take a deep look at anything political before have now been sucked into the darkest of dark holes and claim to have figured it all out at last. So, for a number of reasons this interests me. For one thing, there are people in my family, extended family, who it's almost like a similar um, sort of character arc that happens where when they were younger, they were like really hardcore hippies. Hippie, you know, free love, wearing tie-dye shirts, not cutting their hair, doing drugs. Like it was, it was hardcore, that lifestyle. And then when they hit a certain age, and this is common with many people in the baby boomer generation, they hit a certain age, and then the pendulum swung hard in the other direction, and they became super Republican and super fundamentalist evangelical Christian. And it, it's, as, it's as extreme as it gets, too, like, you know, Jerry Falwell-type supporters or Pat Robertson supporters, just hardcore, went from one end of the spectrum to the under, other end of the spectrum. And um, there's something to that phenomenon, isn't there, where it's like you get a sense it's more of a – it's not really about the, stu- the information being presented to them. It's more like a character trait that permeates and defines a lot of their lives where they were going to land on something extreme. It's just a matter of what that thing is is almost arbitrary. Like if it wasn't – being a hardcore fundamentalist Christian and a hardcore Republican, you know, it could have been Scientology or Mormonism or anything, right? It could just be you become obsessed with some sort of hobby that consumes your life in every waking moment. And so I think it's more of like a a personality character trait issue more than it's actually about whatever the thing is, that that's just in the wiring to – to believe something extreme, to be all in on something, to have like an all-encompassing worldview and just sort of being almost fundamentally incapable of nuance in a way. Like the nuance is uncomfortable because it's a state of cognitive dissonance or not having like an emotional security blanket. And so it's all in no matter what you do. Now, what Marianne is pointing out here is fascinating because if, 
it's a similar arc where it's people who are new agers. So these are the types of people who they're really big into spirituality. They're really big into like talking about energy and finding a meaning in life beyond just, you know, whatever your daily meaning may be, your subjective meaning may be. And there's a lot of people like this who believe in sort of a new age philosophy and look for meaning that way. And I got to be honest, man, I'm not that surprised that people would go from that sort of extreme to like finding meaning in this QAnon thing. Because there is an appeal to conspiracy theories for anybody, never mind people that already have this kind of character trait to begin with, but the appeal of conspiracy theories is like, you know, I figured it out. I figured out the truth. I have this knowledge that a lot of other people don't have. And so that makes me more interesting than them, better than them in a certain way, more knowledgeable than them. And so, like, it's almost this thing where we're part of a clique, and this clique has meaning and brings meaning to all of us because we're the people who figured it out. We're the people who have the truth. It's almost like you look down on everybody else, like, look at these clouds. They don't even know the truth. And so, yeah, the same people who are inclined to that New Age spirituality type stuff and using that to almost fill a void internally – They found this new thing to fill that void, and it makes them feel like, uh, listen, a lot of it comes back to there's parts of it that are true, and so then there's just this big extrapolation from that, that all of it must be true. So in other words, like we know Jeffrey Epstein is real. We know that there are rich, famous, elite pedophiles that exist. That's a thing, but then they take it to, to the extreme where it's like not only does that exist, you know, it's, it's a, like a satanic pedophile cult and Donald Trump is the good guy who's trying to fight and take them down. And like, it, it gets really goofy and really weird if you really dive deeply into the QAnon stuff to the point where it's preposterous. But, um, you know, the same people who are inclined to lean on something like new age spirituality, yeah, they could be the same people who can fill that void in a new way, in a different way, in, in a way that maybe the new age thing got boring to them after a while. And so they're on to the next thing. And the next thing that fills that void is something like QAnon, you know? And um, it's just, it's something that there's always going to be this quality in some percentage of the population where they're going to be attracted to these sorts of things because for the very reason that it is sort of an outsider thing that can give them meaning, you know? And it doesn't matter how much you fact check it, break it down, tear it apart, a very large percentage of them are in it more for psychological and emotional reasons over, you know, empirical, factual data reasons. And so they're not going to deconvert. Some of them will, some of them will. um, But I think most of them, this is a trend that is real and they're not going anywhere. And it's interesting that Marianne really, you know, caught on to this, that there's a certain personality type, certain kind of person who, in the same way that they're attracted to New Age spirituality to sort of fill a void, conspiracy theories or QAnon, that could fill a void as well. So the New Age spirituality thing is relatively benign as far as meaning goes, you know. Some of it, I think, is goofy and silly, um, but it's relatively benign in that it doesn't have real-world harm. The QAnon thing, starting to border on politically cultish and has negative real world consequences and the stuff they claim gets so insane that, you know, it's out of this world. So anyway, Marion Williamson with an interesting um, pickup there.
about what's happening in the New Age spiritual community, not unlike a bunch of the hippies who eventually became hardcore Republicans and, and Christians. Similar dynamic, and uh, I think this will manifest itself in many ways moving forward with different ideological um, strains of thought or different religions. It's, it's part of human nature for a certain percentage of the population, and it's not as weird as many people might think it is. Okay, next. Republicans appear to be outflanking the Democrats in the messaging war. And this is really interesting because it shows you what they know even though they pretend not to know it oftentimes. So Holly Otterbein says the following, while this site is on the topic of student loan forgiveness, here's a Pennsylvania GOP-funded mail piece from the election touting that Trump suspended student loan payments. Trump also worried about the appeal of Democrats' student loan forgiveness plans last year. And so you can see here, President Trump helped families struggling the most under the coronavirus. The fourth thing on the right, so on the very far right with the check mark there, it says, Suspended student loan payments. Now, the other things you can see, it says um, added more money to everyone's paychecks by suspending the payroll tax, extended unemployment benefits to help those still looking for a job, protected renters and homeowners to keep people in their homes during the pandemic. So, so, all of those except arguably one, basically left-wing ideas. Left-wing ideas. So, interesting, when there's a crisis, the duh position to a lot of people is, well, you should do something to help people. That's the left-wing philosophy. And so here you have Pennsylvania Republicans bragging about doing left-wing things, suspending student loan payments, protecting people from eviction and foreclosure, extending unemployment benefits. The student loan one is really interesting because Republicans all the time attack Democrats Mostly made up, this isn't like actually based on something real, but they socialism. They hit them with that nonstop. Socialism, socialism, socialism. Then they turn around and do something like suspend student loan payments. Pretty socialist. You know, you should actually wipe the student loan debt slate clean. That'd be wonderful. But they do that, which shows that they actually know. When it comes down to it, and you want to win elections, what you do is appeal to people's material interests, their material well-being. You want to know why? Because politics isn't rocket science. These things are obvious. That's why Trump wanted his name on the stimulus checks, so that people would see his name and go, oh, i got to vote for this guy. He just cut me a check. This isn't rocket science. Now, compare this to the Democrats, and the Democrats have come to actually believe that technocratic, means-tested neoliberalism is preferable. Where they would be afraid to brag about, oh, we suspended student loan payments. No, they want some sort of a program where if you apply and you qualify based on the right characteristics, we'll suspend up to 20000 or 50000 in student loan debt. That's what they do. That's what they do. 
In fact, Biden's got a plan where he's talking about that now. They're talking about oh, up to 50,000, he'll cancel it. Why not cancel the whole thing? Well, it's got to be up to 50,000, and maybe there, you know, there are standards in order to get in. This is means testing. This is what that is. So the Democrats, even in messaging, this is the crazy part, even in messaging, they think middle-of-the-road, technocratic, means-tested neoliberalism is preferable to a bold, universal approach. And the Republicans are showing here, they know that at least from a messaging perspective, no, you go bold and you go universal because that works and people will like that. Now, again, don't get it twisted. Eventually, this is going to run out and it won't be re-upped and people will get screwed and it'll be a mess. But point is, even the Republicans understand that when it's crunch time and it's time to get votes, you appeal to people's material well-being, and you do it by going big, bold, and universal. And so that's why they're bragging about suspending student loan payments. If a Democrat suspended student loan payments, they'd be screaming it's, you know, socialism, Marxism, it's evil, and you can't do it. That's what would happen. That is absolutely what would happen. So um, every now and then they let you know what they fear. And apparently it was the case that Trump was like, oh, my God, they could win if they go with that message, if they're talking about getting rid of the student debt. He feared it. Just like, remember the story uh, that we talked about during the primary, where behind the scenes, Trump was like, yeah, I actually was, I was worried about Bernie, because if Bernie got the nomination, a lot of the stuff he says is right, a lot of the stuff on trade. And he said, he actually said in a private dinner, if Hillary picked Bernie, she could have won. So, It's insane because in many ways, when it comes to messaging, Trump and some of the Republicans know what works better than Democrats. Democrats are afraid to just be like, yeah, universal, bold programs. Republicans, even though they're technically against those programs, when it comes time to actually legislate and govern, this is a rare instance just for the pandemic where we got a little taste of it. But they know. They get it. And if they do anything good ever, they will brag about it nonstop forever. And if Republicans understand that in the messaging war you want to go universal before the Democrats do, look out. Because even just in rhetoric, having the Republicans outflank the Democrats on the left in some ways is an electoral disaster. It really is. They're both corrupt parties. They're both corporate parties. They both represent their donors. They're both horrendous. But if in messaging the Republicans catch on first – that you have to do stuff like this that has populist appeal, the Democrats are really in trouble. Because, you know, with their message of platitude, cliche, Trump bad in the last election, they underperformed in the House, they underperformed in the Senate, Biden underperformed but still won, it can get ugly. It could be a bloodbath. Basically, whoever figures out first and means it that bold universal programs are the way, they're going to win. They'll have the most success in the next in the next few decades, for sure. So I find it amazing when push comes to shove and it's crunch time and it's time to get votes, they go right to, hey, remember that check? Remember the unemployment benefits? I extended the unemployment benefits. I made sure you weren't kicked out of your house. I suspended student loan payments. So in other words, they're saying good things are good. Good things are good and give me credit for them. Democrats have been sufficiently beat down to the point where they don't even know that good things are good. 
They don't. So I don't say it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, God, I wish that I could run the strategy for the Democrats. And I mean, I wish the party wasn't corrupt and corporate also, but it would be so easy to win elections if you just do the basics. And unfortunately, they're terrified of doing the basics. Even the Republicans are outflanking them when it comes to the messaging. All right, guys. We're done, baby. I love y'all. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody have a good one. Peace.